And as they make their way back to their seats, I invite you to stand as you are able. We are concluding our sermon series, Aha, that awakening, the God moments that, that God actually uses to reshape our lives. And we're looking at the parable of the prodigal son. So this is one of the most treasured stories that God, that God um, just poured through these people that were listening to Jesus. And uh, we've been focusing on one part of it. And, and I, I want to remind you, let's set the stage again. So there are people that are pressing in to listen to Jesus. And there are people that others would judge, people that have made mistakes. We're talking their names specifically. Sinners, and then the super sinners, tax collectors, people that really have messed up. They're leaning in just to listen to Jesus. So Jesus is telling this story. It's a story about a father and two sons. The younger son, remember, he gets his inheritance early. He spends it, squanders it. And now he comes home and he should be kicked out. He should be just not even, not even recognized by, by his dad. But that's not what happens. His dad throws a party so much that he even um, sacrifices his greatest possession, the fatted calf. So the party's going on, and you can almost feel like those people that were just leaning in, the people that needed to hear, like the prodigal son, they can be restored, right? You can almost hear like the credits rolling if that, that were a movie. Like, and then they lived happily ever after. But then like Jesus like <clears throat> clears his throat because there's more to this story. Here it is. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I, I, I've tried to confess this a few times to you, but your pastor is a nerd. Like, I'm the one who's, who's getting up, if I can, being at the movie theater at midnight for, like, you know, the end game of Avengers. And I, I've learned that you know this if you're, if you're a fan of superhero movies, that the credits start rolling and you're like, yes, the villain got what was coming to them, right? The, the, typically, the heroes prevailed. And the credits are rolling. And you know, though, when the credits are rolling, everyone else is getting up and leaving, I'm just sitting there like this. Don't do it. Because there are surprise cameos and, and 
extra scenes at the end of these credits for these movies. So for the 10 years that these have been going on, I'm just like, yes, what's going to be next? It's going to be a foreshadowing of something even better. It's going to be a joke, something amazing. Now, this is actually what's happening in this parable that's going on. So the people that have messed up, the people that have screwed up, they're hearing that story, and Jesus has told it, and it's so powerful. But it's also a perplexing one because this youngest son, he should, he should have gotten what was coming to him, actually. If the credits were rolling in typical time of, of Jesus, um, he would have been kicked out. He wouldn't have been received by his dad. But these people that feel like they're beyond, beyond forgiveness, the mistakes they've made, the sins they've had, you can almost feel them leaning back while the credits roll like, Oh, Jesus, wow. Thank you for telling us that. That the Father doesn't punish him, but the Father restores him. And then it says, and they began to celebrate. The credits are rolling, yeah! But now we have to come to the other people that are also sitting there. So there were tax collectors, there are sinners, there are people that have messed up. And now Jesus also sees surrounding him on the other side are people that are watching the others, that are judging them. These are the Pharisees and the scribes. So these are the ones that are typically, well, they're kind of like the older brother. They're people who'd be judging would be watching. They were, they were charged with keeping God's laws and also helping others. They would police them. And so they're watching the tax collectors. They're watching the sinners, and they're shaking their heads. And so it's almost like Jesus is like, okay, happily ever after, but wait, there's more. And now here's a character just, just for you. Now, I don't know where you're at tonight. This, this story, when I read it, sometimes I find myself feeling like, well, feeling like the prodigal. I think about mistakes that I've made. I feel like, I feel like I, I've screwed up royally sometimes with others and with God especially. And sometimes it's hard to feel like I can be forgiven. And maybe you feel that way too. And so it's so beautiful to, to hear that the Father forgives. The Father restores. But then there are, there are other times there are the other times that I feel like the older brother. The one that looks at others. And, and I, I don't know about you, but this happens. It's, it's probably some of the most magical words in the Dornfeld household. I'm sure none of you as parents can relate to this at all. But uh, sometimes, you know, we'll have like, I don't know, we'll, we'll each have like ice cream bars. And Savannah and Kieran, my six and eight-year-old, they'll be eating their ice cream. And as they're eating the ice cream, they're looking at the other and then they realized that ice cream bar had more chocolate chips than theirs. And all at once I hear those magical words that happen at least 33 times a day. And it's, that's not fair. He's got more chocolate chips than me. Or, Dad, you made the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but his has better peanut butter. I'm like, better peanut butter? It's from the same jar, but it's better. I'm like, it's not fair. And the other person is saying it again and they're looking at each other like mine's not good enough but yours is good enough and theirs is better and why are they missing out? Now we can laugh but I think we can also start to think about how 
I think even as adults, even as followers of Jesus, um, with, with I, I hope sometimes doubts and things that happen in life that also we, we do it ourselves. We say life isn't fair. You know what I'm saying, right? You feel like you followed the rules. You've been basically a good person. Maybe you've screwed up a little bit, but then something happens and you don't understand why, that it doesn't seem fair. How can it be fair if you're eating right and exercising okay that you get diagnosed out of nowhere with that terrible word, cancer? Life isn't fair. How can it be possible that a little boy has a brain tumor? That's not fair. How can it be possible when all of a sudden you were doing everything right in your marriage and all at once they said, I can't do this anymore? It's not fair. And how can it be, which has happened in my previous church, a girl that, wasn't, that was not driving, but unfortunately she was in an accident and she's paralyzed for the rest of her life. No, life Life, many times, isn't fair. It's awfully easy in those times to be maybe like the older brother. Like, God, I'm trying to follow the rules. I've done everything you asked. I've screwed up once in a while, but, but it's okay. It's awfully easy to cross your arms and say, no, no, no. That's what he's saying in this moment. So whether you're feeling like the younger brother, who's made mistakes, or the older brother. I want to point you to something, something freeing, something life-giving tonight. So this older brother, he's resenting it, right? He's hurting. And first of all, before we do that, I, I don't know, I've had some unfair things, I think, happen, and one of them is for someone that I've loved and cared about. I loved all my grandparents, um, but a couple of them as they got older, maybe you've had this with people too, they started to get dementia and started to lose their memory. And it was especially hard, I, I think, for, to see all of them like that. But as I would come to the nursing home for my grandpa, for example, this is a man that would tell the same story 5,300 times every time we'd visit. He had the same stories all the time. You probably have, have uh, relatives that have this too, but my grandpa would talk about us as kids. And it was when Dan was, we were fishing, and it was always this one fishing story. And he would always say, well, Dan was so serious, the older brother, and he was catching fish after fish. And Stuart, the younger brother, oh, he was, he was tangling the lines all over the place. And he would say the line. I will never forget this as long as I live. Until he did forget. And not only that, he forgot the other stories. And then when we came to the, his nursing, the, his room in the nursing home, he'd act like he knew you, but you knew he didn't. And there's a story that Kyle Eidelman shares that resonates so much with me about a man who was facing dementia like my grandpa. And every Sunday he would connect with his daughter and their family, and he looked forward to it. I mean, it was, that was his only daughter. And so at 1 o'clock on Sundays, they would connect in the 
cafeteria. And every time she came, she didn't have to go to his room. He'd be in at the table, ready, with a smile. But then he started to lose track like my grandpa did. He'd start to forget things. After visits, like she'd actually, he couldn't find his room even. But there he was every Sunday at 1 o'clock, right at that table in the cafeteria, smiling, welcoming her. And finally, after a while, she, she said, Dad, how, how do you know it's, this is the day? And he looked at her. And he said, Honey, I wait every day for you. All day. If you're feeling like something tonight, something that you're carrying, something that's happened, that you feel like is unforgivable, if you feel like you're in a situation that you don't know which end is up, and you're afraid how you're going to get through it, if you feel like you're beyond forgiveness, I want you to have that picture of God and what He's waiting for tonight. So the, the younger son has squandered everything. He's practiced the speech. And he's taken that hard step. And he's going to come and he's going to say, I'm not worth anything except I could be your hired hand. And the picture that is given to us of the, is of the father standing and waiting. And he wasn't waiting one day. No, he was waiting day after day, week after week, month after month. He was scanning the horizon, waiting for his son. And he wasn't waiting to punish him. He wasn't waiting to condemn him. He wasn't waiting to say, you're out of the family forever. You screwed up and you're done. No, he was waiting, waiting like the dad was in that nursing home. Every moment. And especially in the times that maybe you don't feel life is fair. That you've done something that there's no way God could love you. You need to have that picture of God waiting to hug you, to forgive you, to restore you. And now with the older brother who's saying, now this is fun, I, I love this. When I was um, growing up, if I screwed up, and like my mom was like, oh, wait till your father comes home. Usually when my dad would walk in the door, she would say, wait till you hear what your son has done. It wasn't her son anymore. Oh no, it was your son. And here's what the, the older brother is saying too. But when this son of yours, he's saying the same language. He's saying he's no brother of mine anymore. I've cut him out. But when this son of yours has squandered everything and messed up, you dare to kill the fatted calf when he hasn't even gotten a little goat to celebrate with his friends, which I find funny. Like, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I wasn't like, man, I cannot wait to get a goat to, to hang out with friends. All right. But that was the thing in that day. Um, and the father says something to him. I think you need to hear. The father left the celebration. The father, like he did with the younger son, he approaches the older son. And I think... There's one of two ways we can go in life. We can feel like we've messed up and we've screwed up and it's all a gift. Or we can start to say, I've earned it. 
And when things happen, it's not fair. So whether you're feeling tonight a little like the younger brother or the older brother, the Father is the one that approaches and says, you're mine. Now, Kyle Eildeman, his book, Aha, I'd love for you all to to read it. It, It's incredible, actually, and could be life-giving for you. But he talks about what God's waiting for, what God's hoping to do. And he talks about this story. There's this girl, and she and her boyfriend, she's a teenager, they get pregnant. And she comes to the pastor with her boyfriend, and she is just devastated. And she, she confides in him what's gone on, and they're crying, and he's, he listens, and he, he learns they're pregnant, and he says, you need to talk to your dad. She's like, I could never tell my dad. He is going to be so angry. I, I can't imagine it. And he said, well, I, I, I urge you to do this. Because at some point, he's going to discover that you're pregnant because you're going to start to show. And she said, I can't yet. And they kept coming back to his office. And he kept listening. And he kept praying with them. Until that one day that she realized she couldn't hide it anymore. And so she came to the pastor's office and she said, I I don't know how I I can do this, but I have to. He said, I'll go with you. And so the pastor drove her to her father's office. They got to the secretary, and the secretary said, "Um, he's on the phone right now, and and he said, this is so important, and his daughter has to tell him something. We're just going to go in. And they went into his office. Her dad just looked at her and and his pastor and said, I have to go, and hung up. And the daughter sat in the chair and just started crying. And the dad looked at her, and the pastor said, she has something really important to tell you that you need to hear. And he looked at her, and with this almost belligerent voice said, I hope you're not going to tell me you're pregnant. And then she just cried even harder. And he knew. And she said, Dad, we didn't mean to. I, I never would have dreamed. Like, and and he, he said, I, I, need, I need you to stand up right now. And she just cried harder. And, and in this gruff voice, he said, I need, you, I need to look you in the eye right now. And, and the pastor was standing already, and he didn't know if he should step in. And she finally was shaking, and she, she, she stood up, and he looked at her, and he hugged her. And he said, it's going to be okay. I love you. I'm your dad. I will always love you. It's going to be okay. Tonight, I need you to hear that no matter what you've done, no matter what resentment and judgment you're feeling, maybe towards others or maybe even to God himself, that there... The story isn't done. The movie isn't over. The credits, they may feel like they're going, but there is more to come. And it is a father who's waiting every moment to forgive you, to restore you, to love you. And so tonight, I want you to come back to this parable to realize you're part of that story too, and it's, it's God's story. And you're the most special part of it.
Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that there's nothing we can do that makes us too lost for you. That there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we have done. There's nothing we will do. There's no resentment that we can have that's too much for you to overcome. That there's no judgment that we are going to make like that older brother that you won't approach us. That there's nothing that can separate us from you and your amazing, reckless, scandalous love that you have. God, help us to just start to believe that. Help us just start to realize that we are worth so much more than even we realize because you think we are. So God, tonight, tonight help us to be a new day. One that we realize that you're right there. That you're loving us. And that there's no way this story ends without you wrapping your arms around us and starting to throw that party. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen.